Welcome to Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, instead of covering a geology research paper, we're branching out a little bit and taking a shallow dive into an engineering paper. Geologists and reservoir engineers work very closely together as a subsurface team, and they go together like peanut butter and jam. You can't have one without the other. Today I'm talking to a brilliant engineer I worked with at ConocoPhillips and Synovus, Claude Rezik, PNG, MBA, and PMP. We'll be discussing the research paper by Shaiyang Yu and Claude Rezik, titled Coupling Analytical and Numerical Methods to Assess Performance and Stimulation Efficiency in Multi-Stage Fractured Horizontals. Some highlights include discussing ways to tell if the initial production results reflect the true geology, or if there could be some issues with the fracture. We're rocking out today with Claude Resin. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Hi, Claude, and welcome to the show. Hi, Marie, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to be having an engineering episode here. So the paper you looked at uh, involved multi-fractured horizontal wells, and when they're drilled and the production begins, the question is often asked, is it the rock properties or the stimulation that's impacting the performance? So to answer this question, you looked at rate transient analytics and bulk linear flow parameters and generated some computer simulation models for prediction purposes. So in order to get everyone listening on the same page, can you explain what rate transient analytics and bulk linear flow are all about? Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. So rate transient analysis or the analytics, however you want to call it, or RTA for short, is a tried and true flow physics science where reservoir engineers and others employ producer rates with synchronized flow pressures to analyze uh, well and reservoir systems key dynamic properties. So like most things in dynamic data analysis, uh, RTA was born in the conventional world a long time ago, obviously. And it's been modified over the last decade or so for um, the unconventional world, unconventional reservoir systems and their complexities. So the key data that RTA can resolve are flow regimes, contact with volumes, and general rock simulation parameters, as well as conductivities uh, native to the reservoir rock. So this is just the name of few. There, there really has been a lot of evolution in the RTA uh, sphere of sorts to modify for the unconventional reservoir challenges. Um, a lot of this being a non-Darcy flow absorption, desorption phenomenon, the stress sensitivity of permeability and porosity, and then condensation or two-phase flow in, in the, the porous media. Um, so to your second question, the linear, uh, the bulk linear flow parameter is really just a fancy uh, word for flow capacity, um, often coined um, A squared K. Um, so it's uh, it's a property that you tease out of RTA and um, almost equivalent in the conventional world to KH, but obviously has to be modified for um, multi-stage horizontal fraction system. But it's a key parameter um, that lumps reservoir and um, stimulation properties, uh, namely the conductivity and the dimensional specific properties. So 
In short, it's a formulated product of um, the stimulated rock volume and drain rock volume properties like fracture height, length, number of fractures, and intrinsic rate of permeability. So essentially, you're looking at the flow capacity and how much the wellbore is able to get out of the ground. So how would you normally assess the bulk linear flow? And what are some of the assumptions that need to be noticed? Sure, yeah, great question. So the, the bulk linear flow parameters assessed by uh, curating rate normalized pressure data and plotting it in a versus a, super, a superposition time function, often square time, sometimes material balance time, et cetera. So this is uh, what's coined the straight line method um, as the slope from this, uh, this plot is essentially establishes the linear flow parameter of A square K. So as the producing life of a well or um, system matures, there's an inflection in this plot, which... Um, which characterizes the transitional flow regime and um, establishes more confidence in uh, resolving the key parameters. So the key assumption that's uh, needed or that needs to be noted is that the treatment of the nonlinearity when working in non-single phase flow with geomechanical effects, et cetera, these are really key. Um, another, th another key thing to note is that it's very difficult to deconvolve the constituent parameters from this bulk linear flow uh, property or a squared K without other independent data and appropriately calibrated the lab data. So there's been a lot of work um, done in this um, track of sorts in the last number of years with a lot of even local research groups that the title of consortium, et cetera. It's, uh, it's all become a very powerful tool to help us uh, reservoir engineers characterize reservoir systems and stimulation problems. If you see the linear line on the plot and you're able to pinpoint the transition, does that give you confidence that bulk linear flow has been established? Uh, so there's um, RTA being umbrella approach. There's uh, different plots that you can use to uh, more confidently um, establish um, that uh, the uh, the different stages of flow regimes through a life for a while. But as you marry all these approaches, yes, um, all these plots often we call straight line methods are what's used. Absolutely. So over the years, the well designs have really evolved and they've gone from the vertical wells to horizontal wells and the lateral lengths have increased. There's more geo steering. There's a higher propent loading, higher fracture density, and this is continuing to evolve over the years. So that's changed the way that the flow capacity has been analyzed. What would you say are some of the differences of how you'd look at the flow in a vertical well versus in a horizontal well? Yeah, good question. You're right. Um, absolutely, there's been a lot of evolution in terms of establishing optimum manufactured well solutions and stimulation treatments, et cetera. Obviously, some plays are less mature in this space than others. Um, <clears throat> a number of years ago, the trend was to continually just increase uh, lateral length, increase propent and general completion intensity. And we still see that, but um, there has been some notable changes here as um, the industry reacts to sort of the, uh, the macroeconomic uh, conditions, et cetera, to really realize a true cost benefit 
And um, also um, assessing how all this comes into play with multi-wire interactions and things like that as they develop into fields. Um, so traditionally, when we look at a vertical well, we, um, we try to translate that as a single stage in a horizontal. That's one way to look at it, or some traditionalist or pundits might think of that. Um, there are some important differences. The geometry and morphology of a fracture is uh, different in a vertical well versus a multi-stage horizontal, even if the treatment is comparable. Um, in a multi-stage horizontal fractured well, will have much more tortuosity attributes that come into play and the aspect ratio for drainage will naturally be different. Um, so all these uh, important considerations, if there are natural fractures that exist, the interaction of um, the induced fracture treatment will be different from depending on the well type goes on the data. Um, so having said all that, the analysis approach would likely be similar, but um, all these uh, all these attributes are really important. Um, one would really need to build an inversion model and history match considering with all existing data to really help tell the story. So at least um, that approach should be still remain the same. So some of the methods that you would have used in a vertical, like the history match, you can still use. Uh, just kind of instead of thinking of one perf in the vertical, you're thinking of maybe a hundred perfs and fracks in the horizontal, right? Yeah, it's all about scale and um, distribution and spatiality and um, how that uh, rock and reservoir system um, reacts accordingly. Exactly. So for the reservoir simulation models, the engineers require several inputs. And this is where the geologist and the engineer start to work together as a subsurface team to really get the right values that are the most representative of the reservoir. So what input parameters did you use in this simulation for fracture effectiveness? Yeah, great, great question. Great point. You're absolutely correct. Um, the uh, the uh, multidisciplinary approach is really fundamental here. Um, in this case, a full flow physics model, be that RTA or numerical simulation, requires the basic rock and fluid properties as a seed to define uh, the model and static reservoir. So uh, from the geologist and geoscientist point of view, all the stratigraphic and structural framework elements um, need to be sort of qualified and quantified. Um, and obviously what's needed is uh, the standard and typical reservoir thickness, not to gross process, saturation, pressure, temperature, composition, petromechanical, blah, 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 how these properties are all distributed. Right, so that's that's fundamental. Um, I guess depending on uh, the tool that the reservoir geologist adopts, LTA versus simulation, the intensiveness of that data and the rigor of evaluation is um, is a bit different. Um, so I guess one way of uh, thinking of uh, the RTA approach is that it's an approximate approximate solution to an exact problem, but reservoir simulation is an exact solution to an approximated problem. So um, these are tools for the reservoir engineer and the whole subsurface team to, to consider in terms of uh, how they're going to evaluate the data and what's appropriate for the purpose for the, the case at hand. And there are so many different ways to get this data. Some of it can come from core analysis, fluid composition analysis, uh, to really prove the model is accurate, you want some hard 
data and physical tests from the reservoir to incorporate. So, you know, it could be tracers done in the pilot wells. What are your thoughts on some of these different kind of tests you can do when the well is new? And in an ideal scenario, how many of these tests would you run to have confidence that the simulation model is a good match? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the key question is we consider data acquisition and, and um, how that impacts the de-risking and uncertainty calibration. So where you are on your state of knowledge of, um, of your, uh, your field or your play, right? Uh, preponderance of data, right? So some of that being a lab, rock work, um, fluid tracers help establish the... Um, the uh, communication from the rock to the wild bore and see what's uh, what's inflowing stage to stage. And there's been even um, a lot more advancements, DTS, DAS, and uh, really more appraisal and rigorous data acquisition um, case studies. So a lot of this are, um, a lot of it can be kitchen sink, um, but really the, uh, the appropriate thing is to sort of address your your, you know, what problem you're trying to resolve, um, where you are in your maturation of your, um, your opportunity and your EMV life cycle. Um, there will always be residual risk and uncertainty. So the goal is to properly establish a statistical definition of that variability. You're never going to know pinpoint everything um, but discreetly with uh, absolute certainty. So really it's trying to understand that variability with confidence. It's such a good point. You know, you're not going to get a deterministic one answer of what you're going to see. You're going to have a statistical range giving you kind of a minimum and a maximum and an average that you could expect. So once you have all the data, you developed a workflow to show the performance and stimulation efficiency. Can you walk us through what that workflow was? Uh, Sure. So the workflow is something that's that's almost ubiquitous or standard conventional wisdom in reservoir engineering evaluations. It's um, just a five-step cascading process. You might move back, but um, five steps where the first step is really integrating and quality checking or assuring your data and make sure there's no bus or um, data quality uh, issues per se. The next step is a flow regime diagnostic um, to understand um, the mechanisms, the flow mechanism of your reservoir and well system. Um, followed by that, you're building the specialty plots to quantify the linear flow analysis or, or the analysis dependent on the flow regime you're observing. And the first step is integrating any other independent data, um, like you spoke of earlier, with um, the lab specific or fluid studies, et cetera. And then the last step is essentially uh, um, doing the full analysis to, to tease out the results. Exactly. And then you can take this workflow and use it um, to really figure out, is this stimulation within the reservoir working? Is it not working? And you came up with five different models for case studies. And in each one, you looked at a different sensitivity. So what were the key sensitivities you analyzed and what conclusions did this lead you to? Sure. So sensitivities were based on the parameters that had the highest uncertainty band or um, had the greatest contributions to variance in, um, in the analysis. 
So in the, in the specific paper, uh, we very periodically fracture count, fracture half rates, and other stimulated rock volume geometry elements to see the interplay there and how that would impact the, the results. So one way you could use the results for this is to decide whether or not a well needs to be milled out to increase the productivity. And you had a nice example where you looked at the fracture effectiveness in the deep basin on a filaire well. So this well came on production and it had lower results than was expected. What did the simulation models reveal about this well being affected? Was it poor rock or poor, poor completions? Yeah, that's the question we were uh, mulling over. Um, the conclusion from the paper was a mechanical obstruction of sorts that uh, we were able to tease out and distinguish from uh, reservoir factors versus uh, any issues from the, the stimulation effectiveness. Um, so really, the uh, using that, that five-step process and all the engineering evaluations with the broader data set we have um, in terms of uh, a robust um, understanding of the stratigraphic um, story with the uh, with the, the flare help us uh, really hone in on the fact that it really was true mechanical obstruction and not something specific to the well. Yeah, and by going in and milling out the well, you were able to increase the production four or five times, which really makes a big economic difference. You know, you drill this new well, it's not producing what you expected and a little bit of extra work gets it back up to where you thought and possibly even better. So if you were to drill a new well bore, would you run simulation on it every time to determine the effectiveness? And if you were, how long would it take to complete a study like this? Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, we have to prioritize uh, the work we do for the time we have, and it's all related to um, the problem information that we're trying to resolve. Um, so to really answer the question, it depends on the reservoir system and the stimulation approach, as well as um, I guess the confidence and maturity of the play. Um, so would you do this work um, every time? Perhaps not. Um, but uh, I think it's uh, as um, you gain more and more data and insight into, into a field with this work, it really helps illuminate um, you know, what some of the um, health issues uh, might, might be as uh, problems arise. It's almost the better you understand the well bore and the reservoir and know what's expected, the more you can tell if you're drilling and completion methods are getting you the results you need and whether or not follow-up work is required or if it's come on as predicted. So the better you understand the reservoir, the better results you can really get. Exactly. That's exactly true. So you mentioned there were the two key transient flow regimes, the early stage linear flow and then second stage linear compound flow. And in these models, you focused on the early stage linear flow. So what are the differences that made you focus on early stage and are you going to be looking at second stage in future work? Right. So, um, yes, uh, these are important semantics. Uh, the first stage linear flow is uh, really just flow from fracture to um, flow, uh, really fracture flow, emptying of the fractures. The second stage linear flow is uh, typically, not always, but typically once the fractures coalesce, 
um, often called compounding with now. So the um, it's one drainage system almost per se. And that's that's the um, important distinction. Uh, the focus in this case was the first engineering flow because it was more of a dominant flow regime that was observed from the wall based on when the problem arose. So it's really a matter of how deep into the reservoir you're looking. If it's just right at the fractures or if it's, you know, propagated and spread out into deeper rocks around it. Right. And then just uh, it's inherently uh, related to the reservoir system, uh, the tighter of the rock, the Typically, the longer you would observe for stage of your flow, it's also related to the stimulation you apply if you have a sparser fracture spacing, things like that. So, all important considerations. Great. Well, this is really interesting talking a bit more about the fractures and how you could model them, how you can see if they're working. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight about? modeling fractures? I think it's um, it's still a very critical part of our business and um, the integrated and collaborative approach is really fundamental. As uh, technology has improved and um, we all sharpen our pencil on the understanding and sort of the knowledge gains. I think it's all important pieces really to help tell the story. And I just don't think the one lens approach really works. Um, uh, so there's limits, obviously, what reservoir engineers can do and um, geoscientists, et cetera. So, but um, the sum of the parts, and collectively, I think that uh, we, we really need to bring all that to the table. And that's the beauty of this study. It's really a widespread problem that you can apply to any formation, any basin, and uh, it is an integrated approach, and that's part of why having an engineer on the show was of interest. So thank you so much for joining me today, Claude. Thank you, Maureen. I've enjoyed all the geological uh, podcasts, and it's uh, great to help offer an engineering perspective. Thank you for all you do. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.